0: What that means is your planner, best thing that they can do is understand how long do you want to continue to work at the current pace? Are there areas you can pull back on and still keep the business productivity? Is there team development that needs to happen so that you can keep the income going as long as possible if you indeed have employees? Are there portions of the business that you want to be engaged in longer than others? Does a business sale make sense or can we not count on a business sale? If it's a business sale, who would the buyer be? And then along with that, what do do I need to do to get my business ready for that?
1: Welcome back to the Growth Podcast Series Inside Her CEO Journey. In this growth podcast series, we share all the right tools so you can grow a sustainable and profitable business you love and enjoy. The first five episodes of this growth podcast series, episode 164 to 168, were about balancing supply and demand during the growth stage, hiring with value alignment as the focus, and designing pay structures that hold the lens of systemic anti-oppression. Now, in the next five episodes of this growth podcast series, we talk about the most often forgotten pieces of the puzzle during the growth stage. These puzzle pieces are normally ignored and not dealt until too late. That's why we want to bring in experts to talk about them. In episode 169, the first missing puzzle is data security. We invited Jen DC, founder and CEO of Geek Tech Girl, a certified B corporation, to share simple ways to make small changes in your organization data security that can have a big impact on the overall security. After data security, the second missing puzzle is the legal aspect of a business. That's why in episode 170, we invited Angie Radakoff, founder and CEO of Impact Business Law, to share with us how can purpose-driven founders influence their legal structures, governance, and contracts with suppliers and investors to include sustainability. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. In this week's episode, episode 172, our guest is Julie Martinez, the managing principal at BSW Wealth Partners, a certified B Corporation we discuss how female founders can be ready for retirement and exiting their businesses. As a female founders, you have unique financial planning challenges, not because you don't know how to do it, but because you don't have time. You are busy building and growing your business and often taking care of your family too. At the end of the day, you will exit your business in one of two ways, messy and not ready or with a plan in place for financial and personal freedom. Getting ready for retirement and exiting your business is a process and it takes time. One of the important areas you need to get ready for is getting your business finances organized so you can make sure you get the highest value possible when you exit. When you need a strategic partner to get your business finances organized, Connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash Let's Chat and our fractional CFO can help you. Now let's find out Julie's CEO Journey. Julie Martinez, welcome to her CEO Journey. It is a pleasure to have you here today. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here today and I would love to hear your journey to becoming a partner and senior advisor at BSW Wealth Partner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share that. So, I, you know, I actually would say that my journey started when I was just a child, truly. My mom was a realtor and she was really committed to her work and her clients. I spent so many hours growing up alongside her at her office or along on showings. When I went to college, I studied psychology and neurobiology, but I also loved math. I was fascinated with the human brain, decision-making, and like my mom, I also got my real estate license. I was somebody who balanced my checkbook for fun and spent time (laughs) in Excel spreadsheets as a way to unwind and relax.
1: <laughs> That's you.
0: That's you. <laughs> yeah. In in my 20s I had a great mentor who had a group of companies. There was a commercial and real estate brokerage, a business valuation and commercial appraisal business, and a financial advisory firm. So I initially started on the commercial and business brokerage side, but the financial advisory side was like love at first sight for me. It contained everything I loved in one profession, getting to know people, how to foster good decision-making, constantly changing environment of market, tax and legal changes, and lots of number crunching. I just loved it immediately. It was like finding my home. So over the next few years, I completed this certified financial planner coursework and continued working at the same firm I learned a ton. I grew out of the support role I had there. So next, I spent some time working in trust and estate administration. And this was for a large bank. Those years were brutal. I'm so grateful because during that time, I got to see how estate planning documents played out in real time after a death. So from a technical perspective, being in that role really sharpened my skills. I got to see the language of trust provisions and those legal details come to life before me. So I had a front row seat to how those provisions and details fit or didn't fit into people's lives. But the most difficult part for me, and the reason why I say it was brutal, was witnessing the grief. One of my assistants' jobs each day was to cross-check the daily obituaries. Against the wills, the bank customers had asked our department to keep on file. So my role was to serve as the personal representative or executor where the deceased had named the bank in that role. So the clients I worked with were always the survivors Often, I was the first financial professional on the scene, and the first time I would meet them would be after the death. It taught me so much about how grief or extreme stress can affect one's ability to focus, make decisions, can affect energy levels and capacity for learning. You can imagine how important all those things are when you're talking finance, so that really inspired me to become a student at the Sudden Money Institute. And this was in conjunction with my work life. And in that study, I learned about financial transitions and the special skills that's required to support those going through huge money changes. So that could be death, but it also includes things like business exits or really any big windfall event. And the layers of complexity are just so much greater in those situations. So then during that time, I was recruited away from the bank and became a partner in the RA firm that I was at prior to BSW.
1: Absolutely. You love entrepreneurship, right? By the time
0: I became partner here at BSW, I'd been in the industry over 20 years and had really committed the blood, sweat and tears (laughs) to have the growth. But in BSW, I found colleagues that really got the work that I wanted to do. And we're also passionate about making an impact.
1: At that time, when you started thinking of joining BSW, what really stood out to you that BSW is different than other wealth management firms?
0: Yeah, so I think the difference is that BSW's approach day in and day out, and this was really in the soul, (laughs) in every cell of the existing partners that I met, is that the approach is in everything we do, we need to honor transparency, authenticity, and alignment with not only each client's values and needs, but with our employees and partners values and needs.
1: Do you work with a lot of female founders in your practice? I do. And I've I, I think just because of my
0: history, part of that was by choice and part of that was by luck and just sort of the pathway of my life. But the accumulation of experiences and expertise that I've had with real estate business valuation, and complex legal structures and so on, just sort of augurs towards um, working with female founders. One other thing that I found different about BSW, and that this is a piece of it too, is that when we think about sustainability as a firm, that means that each of our advisors, each of our professionals, are working with clients that are a good fit for them for a lifetime. So for me, I work with a lot of female entrepreneurs. Honestly, it's a selfish thing too. I just love it. It's so interesting. It's so rich. I mean, I'm truly, my life is enriched. They make me smarter. They make my life more interesting and I'm able to help them. So it's this very symbiotic relationship, I would say.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I am selfish too because (laughs) I work with a lot of female founders and then that's a selfish reason. One side of it, I want to see them succeed, right? I want to see them succeed in their business. And then I think that only like 2.9% of female founders that is making over seven figures, right? Over a million dollars, which is, I think that is a very, very low number. And personally, I want to see more. (laughs) I agree with
0: you. And I think that it is part of what certainly our culture, our Western culture, it's part of what our Western culture needs, that dynamic, that infusion of that diverse ecosystem that a female founder adds. Because a female founder has an impact that's so wide, regardless of what the dollars are. When you think of the ripple effect that a female founder has on her employees, if she has them, her customers and clients, her community, I mean, the ripple effect is just massive when you start looking at that one by one. And I just have to say, That's good work that the world needs.
1: Now, what I'm curious about, Julie, what are the challenges that female founders face in financial planning?
0: This is one of the challenges, I would say. And that is that I notice that women tend to undersell their understanding of investing and finance and really any subject matter. I notice this in clients, and I also notice it when I'm hiring. So I noticed that male applicants will put their hat in the ring if they're interested in the job, and even if they have a portion of the listed requirements. And then I get the the applicants, uh, female applicants, they tend to have all or almost all of the listed requirements. So we as a firm have actually put a ton of thought, and we're still trying to work through how to solve this. We put a ton of thought into how position descriptions are drafted. Because we want to make sure we get a diverse group of applicants. So that's possibly one of the challenges. But truly, I think the primary challenge for female founders with finance and financial planning is just holding space or bandwidth for attention to self. So female founders tend to have less of their energy focused inward. And really, financial planning is a form of self care. So, female founders, those that I work with, have high demands on their time. I mean, they're vetting opportunities, dealing with the day to day business challenges, meeting the needs of staff. They're also maintaining relationships, caring for family, whether that's kids or parents or siblings, friends. Although founders are high energy, people, they also have high output demands and high expectations. And, you know, most people aren't like me, where financial planning, for most people, isn't exactly everyone's preferred way to relax and recharge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hear you.
0: (laughs) And I think Western culture places... Financial focus on yourself in the should category. So there's this ideal. And I don't know that it's spoken overtly, but I hear it a lot. There's this ideal that smart people naturally save the right amount. Smart people naturally invest the right way and have their risk covered wisely. There's kind of this undertone of shame there. That if you happen to be someone who hasn't done all that that somehow you're either lazy or undisciplined. And I just completely reject that notion because financial planning is just another facet of self-care. And if making space for self-care is a challenge, then planning can be a challenge. And it's super common for female founders or execs to struggle with this. One of our superpowers is being super women, you know, and female founders are super women they really are they're doing so much so although that characteristic is what fosters success and provides them the energy to get so many things done in their life that also doesn't necessarily support the self-care time so i don't think it's necessary to squash your inner superwoman but i do know super women need to recharge and they need to have space, and time for self-care.
1: So let's think about this. Why a lot of female founders out there are thinking that this is a should and not a must though.
0: I actually do see that it's more that the same women who have trouble finding time for other elements of taking care also have trouble finding time for financial self-care. And also there is that shame point. I mean, sometimes I hear almost an apologetic tone. I can't tell you how many times women have come to me maybe in the early stages of getting to know each other. And they say, oh, I know I was supposed to do this earlier, you know, and sort of this, "Ah, I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry, you know, and I'm like, are you kidding me? You're working your tail off, (laughs) becoming an expert in your field, keeping a business afloat during all kinds of crazy conditions, maybe raising a family or caring for family or friends, all the while never forgetting to feed the dog or pay a bill. So, you know, first of all, give yourself a break. And also the time is always now to start dropping all of that and just beginning. And I guess the good news is it's much easier to outsource financial self-care than it is to outsource any other kind of care. So if you want to keep your body in motion, your body in shape, as you age, you can hire a personal trainer or a coach. But you still have to do the work. You know, if you don't lift the weights, you're not going to have the muscles, right? You can't (laughs) reap the benefit (laughs) simply by hiring a trainer. But finance can be a much lighter load. You really just need to take the time to direct your advisor or your team so that they understand you, your values, your vision, what you want from your money now, what you hope your money can do for you in the future. And there are actions to follow through on, maybe signing paperwork to set up a retirement account, for example, the time and bandwidth required from an individual is minimal compared to other forms of self-care if you outsource logistics.
1: I think personally for me, sometimes I know it doesn't take a lot of my time and I'm not a person that would look at like the type of investment Where I invest, I just want to get a general understanding. The big pictures, is it going to be a fixed income? Is it going to be ups and downs, more on equity? But even that, sometimes, personally, Julie, it's exhausting. (laughs) Even Even though I'm dealing with numbers all the time, but I think thinking about personal finance perspective, like the planning for personal finance, is different than business finance. There are a lot more ins and out as well. I told my advisor, can you just tell me one, two, three, and then what I need to digest over here? And then here's what I need. And can you just help me with the scenario? And then we can move from there. You're so spot on with
0: that because that's actually one piece of advice that I would give every female founder. So first of all, if you don't have an advisor, get an advisor. If you have an advisor already, make sure that's dialed in. So what I mean by that is if the advice you're getting or the level of detail you're getting isn't, isn't what you need, be explicit about that. Communicate about that. I think you're doing the right thing with that. What I would say is that the word advisor can have a lot of different meanings. Yes. Yes. And I would say, I wouldn't give the same advice to the general public, by the way, but being an entrepreneur, no joke, it's a complex life path. Not one of my entrepreneur clients had a simple life. They all have complexity. They're brilliant, curious, hardworking people. And it's complicated. So although I wouldn't tell everyone to get an advisor, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you need an advisor.
1: Now, I want to talk a little bit more about exit strategy from a business perspective. When you start talking about exit strategy, that is not like a year or 12 months planning. It can take sometimes years and continuous planning with an advisor. Because one of the, your expertise is huge money changes, financial transition is business exit. Can you help my audience to understand how should they plan for an exit strategy? I think this has
0: changed over my career quite a bit, actually. So early in my career, two and a half decades ago or so, it was common for clients to have an age picked. You know, even early in their career, I want to I wanna be done by the time I'm X. And I rarely see that now. I just, I, I notice our expectations for our engagement with work have shifted a lot. So people are doing that informal cost-benefit analysis, you know, late in their careers even. So at the outset of a career and even into mid to late stage business, the overwhelming expectation I hear from people is that people expect to evolve, transition, change the opportunities they're engaging with rather than envisioning hard stop at a certain date. So they may even expect to do many things over their lifetime. So that creates more nuance. What that means is your planner, best thing that they can do is understand How long do you want to continue to work at the current pace? Are there areas you can pull back on and still keep the business productivity? Is there team development that needs to happen so you can keep the income going as long as possible if you indeed have employees? Are there portions of the business that you want to be engaged in longer than others? Does a business sale make sense? Or can we not count on a business sale? If it's a business sale, who would the buyer be? And then along with that, what do, you, what do I need to do to get my business ready for that? That is a lot to be going on in, in the background. But I think those are the conversations, more life-visioning conversations, that as long as you're having those with your advisor, then as an advisor, my work is to take that vision. In the varied income and expense needs that are happening over that desired arc and help create the plan for how to fill in the gap. So, what portions of the arc are likely to have excess cash flow that can be invested for your future self? Are there portions of the arc where you actually need supplemental income to come from your portfolio back to you? So, those are the nuances.
1: What are the things that a business need to get ready in order for them to exit easier? Yes. Well, so
0: this goes all the way back to beginning of my career in business brokerage. The first thing we would do is do what you would call a, a recast profit and loss, which is just to say a buyer is going to be interested to know what is the cash flow? What is the profit and loss? And, you know, as business owners, we know that might look a little bit different because the tax return and the cash flow might be two different things due to deductibility of certain things and so on. And so I think step number one, it's kind of like getting your house in order so that a potential buyer could look at that and really truly see the opportunity there.
1: I can relate to that because sometimes I would come in to a business and I would look at their financial statement. And unfortunately, even their financial statement, and and even if they have a bookkeeper, their book is not as clean as I expected. And unfortunately, there is a lot of cleanup that needs to be done.
0: Exactly. Correct. Yes. you need somebody who understands that you're preparing for a sale and you need to be able to communicate what the true opportunity is.
1: I'm glad that you mentioned one of the things that businesses need to get their house in order is really to care about their financial numbers and really get an understanding. And I'm assuming that one of the things you need to look at when you review for exit strategy is looking at their profit and loss and their balance sheet as well.
0: In addition to that, the human side of it, so there's the, you know, the numbers and the data side of it. And then the human side of it is often the highest value for a business can be obtained if there are key team members that are going to be consistent even for a period of time, even for a bridge transition time. And that doesn't happen overnight. That's another five plus year investment in time, if, if nothing else, in time and expertise to ensure that you have a team in place so that when you remove the founder, the whole business doesn't evaporate or big chunks of value of the business don't evaporate. So that's really a human capital building proposition.
1: And I think that's why it's really, really important not to rush it, right? Because it's a lot of thought process to think about how are you going to exit your business?
0: Yes, it is.
1: Is there anything else that you want to add to the conversation before we wrap up?
0: I guess I would just encourage women to... Surround themselves with advocates and supporters. Women entrepreneurs are some of the most brilliant, curious, hardworking people I've ever met, and every one of them has made sacrifices. And everyone that I've known deserves the best chance possible to follow their dream career and life arc. So I would just encourage each of you you deserve it. Surround yourself with advocates.
1: Julie, where can people find you and find BSW?
0: You can find BSW. We have a really simple web address www.bsw.com. All of our contact information is there, and I'm happy to answer any questions or have conversations with anyone who would like to speak further.
1: Julie, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. When you are ready to grow to the next level and seeking a finance team and a fractional CFO who are all in on your mission, and can help you maximize profit to make a bigger social impact, connect with us at theprofitreimaginecom forward slash let's chat.